Just as um, summer is ending, so is our summer series in the Psalms. Next week is kickoff Sunday, and uh, so this will be our last sermon on the Psalms. So if you turn to Psalm 146, we'll be there today. We looked at Psalm 147 last week and saw that in verse 1, it said that it is good and pleasant and fitting to praise God. And we looked at reasons to praise Him, including His provision, His power, and His pleasure in His people. And this week's psalm encourages us to take pleasure in praising God as well, but as we look at God's justice in the world as being a reason to praise. So let's read Psalm 146. It's a look at God's justice. It's a reason to praise Him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Let's once more go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we read in your word that your word is like a double-edged sword, able to to pierce to the division of soul and spirit, of bone and marrow, revealing the intentions of the heart. And this seems like it could be a negative thing until we realize we are desperate for our hearts to be revealed, to know ourselves and our need of your grace. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us so that we would leave here with a greater desire to praise you is the God of justice in the way that you deserve to be praised. So please do this, Lord. This work in our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I listen to a podcast most days on the way to work called The World and Everything in It. And it gives news through a Christian worldview. And on Tuesday morning, it gave a review of a, a new Netflix documentary. It's gaining in popularity. And this documentary is focused on the corruption and oppression of a quasi-Christian organization that's involved with the government in Washington, D.C. Some of you may have heard of it. But from the review, it said that though this organization has some real problems, this documentary is gaining in popularity probably because it's fitting the cultural narrative that's out there right now. 
It's, it's basically saying that Christianity promotes intolerance and oppression. That Christians are judgmental and oppressive towards other individuals' freedoms. That Christians worship a God of injustice. And this narrative has caused many to struggle in their faith. Even some mainstream Christians have come out recently saying that they don't know if they could believe in such a God who is, unpre- who, who is oppressive and maybe even unjust. Joshua Harris is one of those. And most recently, the Hillsong worship leader Marty Sampson. Marty Sampson recently wrote of his faith struggle that he's struggling. He said he's struggling with many parts of the belief system that seem so incoherent with common human morality. He said, if, if most of humankind had a choice, would we not rid the world of the scourge of cancer or sickness or disease? Why does, does not God do such a thing? Of course, there's an answer to this question, but the majority of a typical Christian's life is not spent considering these things, he wrote. Questions such as these remain in the too hard basket. Well, the Bible doesn't always explain why certain bad things happen to good people or why God would allow cancer to continue in some, someone's life when he could cause it to be different. But the Bible and this psalm makes one thing, one truth abundantly clear. That God is a God of justice. Verse 7 says this so clearly. He says that God executes justice for the oppressed. The word justice there is the Hebrew word mishpat, which is used about 425 times in the Old Testament. If you're able to ask God, read through the Old Testament, ask God, what do you love? You might hear several answers, but surely at the top, you would hear him say, I am a God who loves justice. Psalm 37, 28 says, For the Lord loves justice. Psalm 33, 5 says, He loves righteousness and justice. Isaiah 61, 8. For I love, I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Justice is at the heart of God's character. And therefore built into the framework of God's created order. See, all people are created in his image and therefore worthy of a certain dignity and respect to be treated with a a fairness. No matter who you are, what you look like, where you live, or how much money you make. The word justice means that it means then to give people what is fair and reasonable, to give them what they deserve. Because of the fall and sin coming into the world, of course, as we know, uh, because of pride and selfishness and self-preservation, people work to elevate themselves at the expense of others. They, they wrong others to benefit themselves. They use their power to oppress the powerless and the vulnerable. And this happens on a family level. It happens, happens in our local community. It happens uh, at a societal, cultural, and even governmental level. As we know. And so justice, it takes on two forms in the, in this world now, in this fallen world. One, there's retributive justice, which God, where God gives wrongdoers what they deserve in the form of punishment. And then there's restorative justice, which God gives to the oppressed, those wronged, what they deserve in the form of protection and provision. 
So we're going to look at these two forms of justice. This passage encourages us to know and to praise this God who executes justice. We're going to look at these two forms. A God who punishes the wrongdoer and protects and provides for the oppressed. So let's look first at how God punishes the wrongdoer. If you look in the passage at the end of verse 9, it says, The Lord, the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. This is one side of God's justice. The wicked there refers to the, the guilty, uh, the ones who are in the wrong, those who work against God's original intent to love and to serve and to help out their neighbor. And so much of the news we watch, right, or the Twitter feed, however you get your, your news, is filled with this. You can't hardly open up a, a news page without seeing this. I tested this uh, this week as I was thinking about this. So I opened up my major news feed that always has something. I mean, it's just it's littered with this. Always the ma- major headline is some form of injustice going on. I open it up and um, the first article at the very top, real big, said, new research shows you need to set your thermostats at 82 degrees when you sleep. I was like, of all the times, the one time... <laughs> Uh, it didn't happen, which um, I guess sleeping in your house with 82 degrees, that's a form of injustice. But, <laughs> but I, I, I scrolled on down and it really was. It's just littered with, with news stories. Husband of El Paso massacre victim gets his car stolen on the way to bury his wife. 17-year-old girl found bound and gagged by her father and sister. A bus full of immigrant children in Idaho gets followed and harassed. Prisoners are no longer safe inside this Mississippi prison. I walked outside of my office around this time and, and met a woman who is in our church for uh, some other reason. And uh, I got to know her, found out she's a photographer. I asked her if she likes photography. She said, I really like taking pictures. She said, you know, the only thing about, taking, about being a photographer is, um, and starting this new business, she said, is that so many people have not paid me. <laughs> And probably don't intend to pay me. And I was like, you just almost can't walk anywhere without seeing some kind of big or small form of injustice. Wrongdoers are working wrongdoing all around us. In Orlando and around the world, big and small ways. And verse 9 shows that God loves to work against these people. God himself is set out to work against them. He said he loves to bring ruin It means to frustrate their plans. It means that God punishes wrongdoers, ensuring that no one will ultimately get away with any wrong. Psalm 147 that we looked at last week, verse 6 says, The Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked down to the ground. And so Psalm 146 invites us to praise this God of justice. And verse 5 shows how we can do that. Look at verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. Hope here means to wait on, to expect God's justice. And this isn't isn't always easy. I thought of a few things that can rob us or keep us from hoping in God's justice. So let's look at two of those things. One is is when we hope in ourselves to get justice. You know, this is our natural reaction, isn't it? When we feel some kind of form of injustice, whether on a small scale from a friend or a, or a boss, co-worker, or even our spouse. We begin to stew on it. 
Um, we carry around frustration. It, it dwells, it stews in our minds, and this leads to an under, underlying anxiety or bitterness or even a beginning to kind of plot how we can subtly get back at them. It's a way that we take justice into our own hands. And some people are more wired than others like this. Like my wife is definitely a, a she's um, a person of justice. <laughs> um, it's hard for to to move on when people seem to have gotten away with wrongdoing. And this is good in one sense. And sometimes God wants us to get involved with being a means to punish the wrongdoer in right ways. But he does not want us to ultimately hope in ourselves to get justice. Living with punitive thoughts filled with anxiety and bitterness can easily swallow up our hope in the God of justice in whom we're supposed to live with a sense of praise. We are rather to hope and wait on God who punishes the wrongdoer. Romans 12 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Live, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay declares the Lord. So do not be overcome with evil, but be overcome. Be, be overcome with good. And so we can't let hope in ourselves to get justice rob us from praise. Number two, another thing that can rob us from praising God's justice is when we ultimately put our hope in others to get justice. And this is verse three and four. It says, put not your trust in princes or a son of man in whom there is no salvation. It's a natural reaction with injustice as well, especially on a larger scale, to immediately look to someone or something else to, to punish the wrongdoer and make it right. And God made it clear to his people, number one, very early, he said, look, as I'm bringing you out to become a people of God, you're going to be outnumbered, there's going to be larger armies, you're going to be taken advantage of. But number two, you must not put your ultimate hope in those other armies to come and save you, in other armies. Deuteronomy 20 says, when you go to war, God says, against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, don't be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt will be with you. And Isaiah 31 says, woe to those who go down to Egypt. See, Egypt had a large army. Why don't we just hop on down there and hire their horses to help us? He said, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel and seek help from the Lord. God wants His people to put their ultimate hope in Him, not in other nations, people, or things. You know, several years ago, there's a, a little, um, there's a story about a little nine-year-old girl named Miriam. That went viral. ISIS had come into her town, uh, her little town of Karokish, Iraq, and forced her and her family to run for their lives while leaving death and destruction behind everywhere. A news reporter found this little girl in a crowded refuge, uh, refugee camp, and as they sat down on the concrete and talked, he asked her um, how she felt about ISIS. This little girl then told him so sweetly and confidently, if you watch the interview, you can see that, she said uh, that she forgives ISIS. She said she wishes them no harm and actually is praying that the terrorists would come to know God's forgiveness that she has. 
And at the end of the interview, he asked her if she knew any songs and if she would sing one for him. And she said yes and immediately began to sing this song in Aramaic, which I recommend YouTubing later. She said, the words of the song said this, in the midst of this refugee camp, how joyful was the day in which I knew Jesus. My joy was complete and I sang with gratitude. My love to my glorious Savior, day by day it will grow. A new life, a joyful day. A story like that goes viral because... It is praiseworthy. Not the story of the girl, but because of her hope in the God of justice. We too, in the midst of injustice and oppression, are called not to place our hope in ourselves or in others, but rather in the God of justice who punishes the wrongdoer. That brings us to our second way to praise God's justice. The God who protects and provides for the oppressed. Psalm 146 continues with a sort of resume for God, and it's not your average resume. See, on the one hand, verse 6, boasting God's power. God is the God who made the heavens and earth, the sea, and all that's in them. He can do whatever He wants. He's highly exalted outside of all things created in the universe. But then look how it says what God loves to do with His power. Look in verse 7. He loves to execute justice for the oppressed, caring for the poor by giving food to the hungry. He loves to set prisoners free, those who are wrongfully accused or in bondage or feeling trapped. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up the discouraged, those who are bowed down. He watches over the sojourner or the immigrant. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. And throughout the Bible, God wants to be known as the God who protects and provides for the oppressed. For the lowliest in society, the most vulnerable, who are usually characterized into four categories. The poor, the immigrant, the widow, and the orphan. And Jeremiah 9.24 says, if you want to boast that you know God, O Christian, boast in this, that God's saying this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. And it's just not usually the case that the most powerful in society want to be known for protecting and providing for the least. Can you, um, can you imagine if, if a president comes into office and he says, you know what I, I want to be known for at the end of my presidency? I want to be known for using my power for the oppressed and most vulnerable. Look, I, I've got, I know I've got to meet with dignitaries and make big decisions, but my heart is not there. I want you to schedule in plenty of time for the poor, for the single mothers, for those who are oppressed. And anyone who feels vulnerable in our, in our country, my heart goes out to them. That's what I want to be known for. This is how I want to use my power. And this, is, this was very unusual in Old Testament times as well. As most thought of uh, the gods of the ancient Near East as those who exist to serve the rich and the powerful. That's who they favor. This is why Naaman, in the Old Testament, the commander of the Syrian army, came to the king of Israel bringing lots of money. And he asked to get healed to his, 
uh, of his leprosy from their God, the God of Israel. And surely, he says, God will help me because of my riches and power. The king of Israel, Joram, tore his clothes and he said, you don't know our God. Our God doesn't work like this. Then Naaman goes to Elisha and he gets offended when he, he not only doesn't accept his money, but he tells him, look, just go and wash in the Jordan seven times. In their mind, powerful gods direct their power towards the deserving rich and powerful. And not so with the true, one true God of created things. He loves to give out of mercy. Undeserved mercy. He loves to bring low those who are lifted up and lift up those who are bowed down. And he wants to be praised. His mercy wants to be praised for punishing the wicked and protecting the vulnerable. And at the end of verse 6 in our passage, it says, To the oppressed, God loves to remain faithful to them. It says he keeps faith forever. And keeping faith is a little obscure. It means uh, to watch over, to preserve his faithfulness. It simply means that God will always be reliable. I'm going to pause and I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. Either that or take it off. It's oppressive. <laughs> All right. You're going to have to just deal with me messing with it. Um, he says in verse, in that passage, he says, God will always be re- reliable. And this is so praiseworthy because the vulnerable if you've ever experienced you know, being oppressed or um, being a recipient of injustice, you, you feel like no one's watching over you. And very few things in life are reliable. See, my, my, um, my son is uh, the youngest player on his soccer team by a whole year. And after practice last week, I asked him how it went. And he said one of the players, who's older than him, uh, made fun of him for being so, so young called him some names. And I, I um, you know, the wrong side of me wanted to go wrestle an eight-year-old. <laughs> the right side of me, you know, started, um, wanted to use this as a teaching moment. So I, I told him, I said, you know, some kids don't know Jesus and they easily look and get their security from, um, from putting, from making fun of others and putting them down. And they, they lift themselves up at the expense of, of others. And this is actually a way of, um, you know, they're demonstrating their, their insecurity and their, their vulnerability on the inside. But I said, you know, we can remain secure even when someone is treating us wrongly. And I gave him this illustration, which I stole from Jesus. Um, I said, no, I said, imagine building up a big sandcastle uh, near the ocean with really soft sand. And I said, what, what will happen when the water comes up and, and kind of hits the sandcastle? He said, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to knock it down because we've done that before. I said, now imagine building up uh, a sandcastle, taking a big bag of concrete out to the ocean, you know, and now building a sandcastle out of concrete with a, with a big wall around it. What, what will happen when this hardens and then the water comes and hits it? He said, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be strong. It's going to stay strong. It's going to be reliable. I said, you don't need to defend yourself because God is with you and he is your defender and he is reliable. And the vulnerable have every reason to be inwardly strong and reliable regardless of circumstances because God says he is watching over and protecting those who are oppressed. He's always faithful. He's always reliable. This little Iraqi girl that I mentioned earlier, um, 
got to return to her city a year or two ago. Her hometown was ravaged. Her house was um, torn up. And, and she was recently visited by that same reporter, came and found her, so several years later. And this reporter asked her, said, do you, do you still forgive them? And she said, this little girl who is um, who's now, I think, 14 or so, she said, of course I forgive them. I love my city, but the more important thing is that I love to see people believing in God. It is not about the house. It's what you feel in your heart, that God is always protecting, and you can just count on him. She loved that from the mouth of a child. God is always faithful. You can just count on him. Isn't that so praiseworthy? God wants to be known and praised for being a God of justice who is faithful to protect and provide for the most vulnerable. And this remains true even in, in the Bible as it progresses towards the incarnation when God himself, through his son, becomes born into the world, right? He chooses to be born not in a palace with the rich but in a stable. You know, isn't it, don't you think it would be God's original intent for a pregnant woman to have a child in a, in a clean room, <laughs> much less a hospital. And yet God, in all his sovereignty, chooses for, for him to be born into a family that was so poor, the suffering, the injustice of not even having a, a house to be born in. Jesus' heart for the oppressed is seen in his first sermon. He could have chosen any text, but Luke 4 says that as the scroll of Isaiah was, was given to him, he opens it up to Isaiah 61. And he reads, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And with all eyes upon him, he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Because this is the heart of God. And he went on to demonstrate that his heart was the same as his father's. He loved the outcasts, including children and, and lepers. He gave special attention to the poor, the widows, the marginalized. He was labeled a friend of sinners. And even though he proclaimed to be an exalted king, he rode into Jerusalem on the way to the cross on a donkey. And then the one who is innocent of all wrong, wrongdoing suffered the ultimate injustice when he was convicted and crucified on the cross as a criminal. And of course, as we know, the cross is the ultimate form of God protecting and providing for the oppressed. Of course, it was our own wrongdoing that put him there. For our forms of injustice. In the midst of our wrongdoing, he executed justice to provide reconciliation. In the midst of our spiritual blindness, he opened our eyes. In the midst of our spiritual poverty, he made us spiritually rich. And in in the midst of our prison-like bondage to sin, he set us free. And God do this so that we would praise him. So that we would praise the God of mercy and of justice who protects and provides for the oppressed. And let me add, close with just maybe two applications one for maybe more for our culture and if you are an unbeliever here with us this morning this is the god who in verse 10 says this god will reign forever to all generations 
He's talking to, as God is the, the ultimate king who would want, he's the ultimate king who would want, who everyone would want to be ruled by if you really knew who he was. He's setting up a kingdom who all would really want to live in if you really could taste of this kingdom. And this is not some social, as we talk about the God of justice, not some social justice, prosperity, gospel message. The goal of seeing and experiencing God's justice is that you would come to hope and to praise Him as your King. Of course, many love God's heart for social justice, but don't want God as their King. John Cooper is a a songwriter and lead singer of a Christian rock band, Skillet. And in regards to so many people leaving faith because of God seemingly to be unjust, he wrote a very insightful blog post. He says this, he said, I'm amazed that so many Christians want the benefits of the kingdom of God, but with the caveat that they themselves will be the king. (laughs) He said, I implore you, Please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by sifting through inconvenient truths. But rather, let us hold an even tighter grip to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. He's saying God is faithful. Look to him. So it's so great that so many have a passion for the poor and the oppressed in our culture right now, but oh, that they would not seek the benefits of the kingdom of God without submitting to God as their king. And then for us as believers, that we would give ourselves to justice, right? First, let me actually say one thing. If you're feeling injustice this morning, we're about to sing a song that says God is so faithful. It says your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. In the midst of the flood and the fire, that he is faithful forever. Would you praise the God of justice in the midst of your injustice? But then number two, it is so it was so tempting to want to take a passage like this and kind of preach mainly on the imperatives of doing justice, but it's really not about that. It's about us praising his justice. But I can't you can't um, you can't talk about God's justice. You can't know the God of justice without um, loving what he loves and doing what he loves to do. It's, this is not optional for, for us. As Micah 6.8 summarizes for the Christian life, He has told you, man, what is good. What does the Lord, your God, require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And so some of you are so already involved with ministries of justice Some of you are involved with the Samaritan Resource Center that works with the homeless in our area. Or our Family Advocacy Mercy uh, mercy Ministry to the Working Poor. Some of uh, you are starting a a women's freedom group to those who have been sexually abused. Some of you went on the mission trip and got to love on children who only get about three cups of water per day. What did I do to deserve a backpack full of water bottles? (laughs) I didn't do anything to be to deserve differently, to be born in America. But it is our calling with what we've been given to go out and be ministers of justice. Let us be a people who know this God of justice, who punishes the wrongdoer, and to praise the God of justice, and then go out to be, as God, a protector and provider for the oppressed. If you don't know maybe a place to do this, 
Start looking around you. Where is their, their oppression? Where the, the lowly need to be lifted up? We're going to explore some of this in our kickoff series next week as we start talking about the theme of my life is not my own. And hopefully you'll, you'll hear some more opportunities of how to get involved with doing what God loves to do. That's justice. And then, let's go out and hope in God. A God... And praise the God who loves to punish the wrongdoer and to lift up the oppressed. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that any who are struggling with bitterness as a recipient of injustice, whether small or big, Lord, you would replace those thoughts in their mind with thoughts of praise They'd be able to sing like this little girl who's in a refugee camp. We'd be able to sing of your, the sweet love of being known by Jesus. To trust in your sovereignty over all things. To put their hope in your faithfulness. Oh God, make us a church that sings of your praises. And then overflows into our community and into the nations. The same justice that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.